Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at BurnOrangeNation.com. You are tuned into the internet's only Texas men's tennis podcast, the Longhorn Republic. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. You can share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, all of those places. Well, my name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by the second Kyle Carpenter I've had the privilege of hanging out with today. Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Oh, you know, I'm fantastic. I had a... I'll say a, a full weekend. I was in Austin, uh, bachelor party this weekend. Very sad you weren't there, Gerald. I know we do day jobs that I'm using air quotes here, pay the bills and things like that. But I uh, would have loved to have you, man. Had a fantastic time, uh, nonetheless. Love being in Austin. Love being in Austin with friends, fam. My dad, my pops was there holding it down. It was it was uh, fantastic. Played a nice round of golf out at uh, Lions Municipal. Save. Save Muni. Um, no, it was uh, it was fantastic, and then I got to cap it all off with uh, I don't know if you've heard of this little boutique show. Um, it's it's on a you know non cable network, so not many people watch it. But Game of Thrones actually actually wrapped up, so that was uh, that was a thing that happened. So a lot this weekend. I wish I could have been there. I really wish I could have. <laughs> I am traveling for work this week. I'm in Chicago, and it would have been a huge ask for my wife to say, hey. I know I'm going to be gone five days, but let's just tack on a couple extra. You know, I, we don't have a two-year-old or anything. But the funny thing is I sat down at my table today at this conference, and lo and behold, I look across, and from, I think it was like Eastern Mississippi Community College, Kyle Carpenter is my table mate over there. So it was one of those, like, you weren't there physically nor in spirit, but at least somebody with your name was at my table. Was he in Last Chance U? I feel like all of the the Mississippi Community Colleges were in Last Chance U. Uh, I don't know, but... <laughs> you had to save all your Kyle Carpenter conversation for tonight. That's fair. I, I can only filter in uh, so much Kyle for... No, I'm joking. No. Uh, so today we've got uh, some news. We alluded to it off the top. Men's tennis. Did it big. Uh, baseball did it not big. We'll talk some positional previews. We'll get back to the running backs. And then we will down the 40 because it's championship roundup time. That's right. So we'll we'll take you through, whip you around all of the championship action happening on the non-big sports. And then obviously we'll close the show out with some bang the drum. So we were alluding to it on Twitter. You heard the altered show opening that we'll probably use moving forward. Men's tennis earned its first ever national championship with a four to one win over number three Wake Forest. So after a season that was marred with controversy, this team basically guaranteed that in 20 years, they'll be the subject of a 30 for 30. Oh yeah. What if we told you? At the center of the controversy was a coach named Center, who got fired and his team still won a national championship. I mean, that's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I don't want to speak exactly on coach and, like, you know, the details, but he's clearly the most pro- high-profile person caught up in that whole thing. And the team just other, abs- other than the actresses and actors. I mean, fair. The most high-profile <laughs> sports person 
um, uh, you know, that's a, that's a very good point. Um, but I, I don't know actually though, how the, how the yachting coach at, at Yale or, um, the rowing coach at, at, at Stanford rank up, but I'm going to give it to the tennis coach at UT, but nonetheless, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's kind of crazy, right? Like, look at, you know, incredible, incredible congratulations to interim coach Bruce Burke, who, you know, did it. I mean, that's a, that's a wild thing. And to each of those players, I mean, that's like, what an emotional season that must have been. You could see it on their faces. Uh, the video of them celebrating uh, is fantastic. You can find it on Twitter. Just um, love it, man. We are the champions. And the fact that they only lost like three, I guess not, not Matt, but series for the season. Like mm-hmm. they were 29 and three this year, which is just absolutely insane. That's a level of excellence that I think the university should aspire to. Like that's, that seems to be like what, when we think of university of Texas athletics, like that level of excellence, like Texas should be at or near the top of the rankings in every sport. Like that's, that is the standard. And, and it's unfortunate that, you know, when they have a middle of the pack year, fans are already clamoring for the coach's head. So I think that like it's it's one of those double-edged swords where I think it should be the standard, but I also think fans should understand that one year does not a program make. With that being said, man, this is one of those huge statements for why I I say it all the time, why Texas never stopped being the Joneses even with a tragic downturn in the football program. Yeah, I mean, it was, I think, 2005 when they when they uh, were named on the cover of Sports Illustrated as the top athletic school in the country. And, I mean, I think it's something we knew, but it, it kind of it put it uh, put it kind of at the forefront. You have Stanford right there as a close second. And, and when you look past just the kind of big two really generating, uh, revenue-generating sports, and you look at a totality, for decades, Texas has been. And, and that's, you know, it's wonderful. Now, I have, again, I've always... Always been a fan um, ever since I had the basketball girls as as a uh, as my residence when I was an RA all the way through covering you know multiple of the I don't want to say lesser but I'll say smaller less uh, followed I guess sports uh, it's 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 fun to be out there for these I mean it, it's fun to watch these teams pick a team go out and support them uh, they're Longhorns and they're elite elite athletes I mean I'm actually going to give you a little. Uh, a little trivia here, G. <clears throat> this was not Texas's first team national championship. They have had, uh, I'll give you a little hint, a few. Um, ballpark in the history of, of the University of Texas, and remember, there's a lot of good teams all across various sports. How many Texas team national championships do you think the Texas Longhorns have won? 43 and a half. I like that you went with the half, um, and, and and here's the thing, right? Uh, we could claim as many as like ninety. I'm sure if you do, you know, uh, Alabama and Aggie SEC revisionist history, but actually a really, really impeccably impressive uh, tally is fifty five. 55 oh, wow. Texas team national championships, which puts them absolutely without a doubt in the short list and upper echelon. Um, so, I mean, that's just like, that gives you that, that stat right there. Like that's how good Texas is all across the board. This is the fruits of, now I know this started before Chris Del Conte got here, but like the, they hire a guy like Chris Del Conte to take the athletic program, the athletic department, Texas athletics overall, to this, like, hey, every team, which we'll talk about uh, in the Downing the 40 
section, like taking all the teams to that standard. Like that's why you hire a guy like Chris Del Conte. And it's good to see the fruits manifesting this early. Now, with that being said, we're going to move on to baseball and talk about a team that was, I think it's fair to say, disappointing. Like 500 is disappointing for this year. So uh, the baseball team officially ended its 2019 campaign. Uh, They won against the Oklahoma Sooners on senior night, which was nice. Uh, But losing the first two games of that series guaranteed that they would not make the Big 12 tournament. Uh, They lost Thursday and then the first game of a Friday doubleheader that was rescheduled due to rain. So... Kind of wrapping the season, Kyle, like it's a disappointment. And I think we've talked a lot about, you know, the relief pitching, the bats being inconsistent. But like, what do you think the one like, how do you think the guys that are leaving this team? What's the impact that's going to have moving forward? And then what do you think kind of the story of this season should be? Yeah, I mean, that, that's I'm glad you teed that up because that's uh, that's exactly where I want to start. No matter what uh, you have uh, three guys on this team leaving who played uh, a lot of baseball, who played for multiple years, some of them for five years with redshirt seasons in there. Uh, Michael McCann, who kind of was our um, number two catcher most of his career and was often you know great in his um, kind of cameo appearances, was forced into full-time starter and just struggled to really adapt to the kind of pressure in the, in the taxing. Again, I was a catcher. I know how hard it is, um, you know, to play that position, but to do it every day also, or every game, I should say. Um, it, it's by far, I think, the most tolling, um, taxing position. But he stepped up and, and you know, held it down all season. Uh, injuries all around, injuries to Petrinsky, um, who, who will, you know, basically be kind of an instant upgrade. You had Tate Shaw, who, you know, got a reputation for being a uh, late, late game Late game Tater, you know, just uh, did some some awesome things in his in his career for the Longhorns, um, and then Mason Hibbler, who didn't hit a lot of home runs, but got his seventh of his career um, on Senior Night, his last game ever, went out and, and did something and, and contributed to a win, and it's tough. None of those guys left that game on that field on that day happy with the way that their their senior season shook out. Um, but nonetheless, they, you know, they won, they did something. They, they kept it from being a losing record on the season, which, you know, is something, um, it's the first time coach Pierce has ever lost a final, um, series of season series in his career. Um, he's usually close as strong as we saw last year. Um, so I, you know, I don't know, I don't really think you blame that on the coach, but you know, I hate to say you blame it on the players. Maybe it's just fatigue when you're down a couple key starters and everyone else is pulling the weight and it, and it comes down. But, you know, with, with McCann and, and, and Hibbler specifically, you're basically going to see the guys that they stepped in for um, come back next year. You're going to have David Hamilton and uh, Petrinsky be leaders, you know. And I, and I think um, it's almost like replacing with a with an instant upgrade if, if they were underclassmen and these people graduated and you just got better. Uh, the, the freshmen and sophomore on this team, especially in the bullpen, um, are going to be better. You know, the, 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 some of the best players on this team were freshmen on both sides, you know, on pitching and, and also hitting. You know, this was this was a team that was young um, in a lot of their difference makers. Uh, we saw Zubia probably not make the step forward that we wanted, but he's got another year. He's got another year to do that. So everyone's a little bit older next year. I think the expectations rise. I think they, they set the bar too high with the way they played in the beginning of the year. Um, I think they were a 
you know, close to top 25. They were probably a top 25 team with both of their stars who, who got hurt. Um, they way overachieved and looked like a top 10 team at one point, and they clearly weren't, you know, a top 30 or 40 team um, this season, as you can tell by, again, a, a .306, I think it is, winning percentage in the Big 12. Um, oddly enough, their only Big 12 series win was against Big 12 champions Texas Tech. Uh, but, you know, it's it's... It's just a weird season, and I almost think you have to chalk it up as that as an aberration. Um, you know, I, I don't want to spend too much time analyzing exactly what went wrong, what at what point, you know, the Oklahoma State series broke their spirit, and what happened in the locker room, or, you know, why the, the Baylor rainout was actually that. There's time for think pieces, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's tough. It's a little bit embarrassing. I hope they're licking their wounds and realizing that as we just talked about on this podcast and is no surprise to anyone there are big things expected from texas sports you you should never be the worst in the conference at anything and this year that's what baseball was yeah and i think and i'm gonna steal your stats so thank you for this and i honestly knew like you have one of those feelings like i knew there was this like weird close game thing but i never really looked at the numbers and the fact that Texas had 26 games decided by two or fewer runs. Half. That's half. Half. That, 26 of their games. And they went under 500. They were 12 and 14. Right? Eight games ending on walk-offs. Three went the right way. Five went the wrong. Right? So, like, kind of like we talked about going into the 2018 football season, at some point those the, either – that stops being the excuse or those things start to break your way. Right. Mm-hmm. We talked about it from 2017, to 2018 in football that like mm-hmm. Texas had like a, what less than field goal, like average point differential in their losses where it was like, you know, two and a half or 2.7 points or whatever. I don't remember the math, but like at some point, like good teams that make the turn from, you know, average clubs to good clubs, take control of those games. Cause those are, those are what separates, you know, the again average teams from championship teams right and i think last year you saw that texas won some of those gritty tough games you saw a lot of it in the ncaa tournament the game against texas a&m like right like that's the one you know you've got um cody clemens like angrily flashing the horns at the a&m dugout right like that's like and there wasn't that guy this year that was the spark plug there wasn't that guy that was the one that said okay when everything else is falling apart this is the guy we can lean on to get it done and so i i really think like Texas needs to figure out one who that guy is, and hopefully that will help that pendulum swing in a positive direction. Because again, if Texas can win two of those two run games rather than lose them, they're in the Big Twelve tournament. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in in, in that shouldn't be a baseline for us, but you're right. At least it's something. Um, but you know, it, if if the first season horns overachieved and this season underachieved, you said pendulum. I just hope next year they achieve. We know they're going to have talent, and I just want them to just downright achieve. They won. I mean, they won a few games at the end, and when I say a few, they lost a Big Twelve of their final fifteen. Uh, it was a putrid end to the season. Um, I, I I can't imagine it gets any worse than that. Like I just can't imagine whatever happens next year. Middle of the road, if that's bad, then we start rediscussing where this baseball team's program is. But I don't think it gets this bad forever because like you said, it's, it's almost 
an anomaly that they were this unlucky or that they had this much trouble just just finding that heart to finish out games when you saw literally a, a big chunk of this team do it do it last year. So it's not that you know they can or Coach Pierce doesn't have that in his teams, but um, I'm sure there will be a lot of introspection over the off season, um, and you know we'll, we'll take the time next year to really evaluate where they are. And if there's not an anti-Lime Scooter clause <laughs> in their scholarships, um, then the athletic department is failing. Like, That's fair. Every, every athlete needs to sign an agreement that they will not get on a Lime Scooter. Like, And again, I think we said it in the season preview, the quickest way to get Lime Scooters banned in Austin is have Sam Ellinger miss a single snap due to a lime scooter, right? <laughs> like he misses one snap due to a lime scooter and you'll never see a ride chair scooter again in, in possibly the state of Texas, much less <laughs> Austin itself. Right. So again, that's another one of those weird, bad luck things though. Yeah. Right. Like you lose a star player. Who's going to be a contributor. Who's kind of one of those guys who, especially defensively is a guy who kind of holds it down and then you have to do these weird you know, positional packages again, due to bad luck. So like luck is what you make it right. And luck Mm. is when opportunity and preparation come together. But at some point, bad luck is a thing, right? Like you have to, at some times like, Oh wow. Like there's just, there's no accounting for how poorly that turned out. And I don't want to keep, you know, beating this into the ground, but the season is over. And and basically our last two, um, kind of teams here. We've talked about the, the talent level they had was better than what you saw. But if you looked at both of them, again, the basketball team we showed um, when we talked about that, kind of the Ken Palm rankings for luck, and they had one of the worst scores. Literally, they measure that, and it was one of the worst luck scores in the country because talent-wise and even like advanced stats said they should have with game flow won and ended up losing by a bucket. Like, I mean, there's certainly things into that. You're right. There is a create your own luck and having that mentality to finish strong and then things don't look that way it's it's not a it's not a uh, a badge of honor to be the unluckiest team every year uh, but you know these are two programs that could have a swing if they just some things go different in in the way some balls bounce in in both sports and and, and I'm I'm fingers crossed and rooting uh, for both obviously next season so moving on to our next positional preview we are closing out the offense right we Opened up with the quarterbacks. We talked about the offensive line last week. We gave you the wide receiver tight end combo. So now it's time to talk about the running back. And I think of all of the positions on the offensive side of the ball, this is the one where people are having the biggest conversations, at least from my vantage point, because, you know, offensive line, there's a lot of beef there. You kind of got to figure out who your next two, three guys up are quarterback we know the guy Sam Ellinger wide receiver we talked about it last week and again if you haven't gone back and listened to those positional previews do that we're going we're going spot by spot I think the the biggest question at least on my mind is Keontae Ingram going from a high expectation freshman contributor to the every down sophomore workhorse so like what do you think I think it's two questions like what kind of progression do you want to see from him from year one to year two and then what do you think a fair set of expectations is for a guy like Keontae Ingram who we know has the talent but needs to to get a lot of carries for the offense to be successful yeah I mean he, he had five yards of carry last season that's a good baseline. Let's stick with that. Let's increase the load from, I think it was 142 um, last year. You know, increase that load. I don't know exactly how high, 180, maybe 200. Uh, wherever you get it and keep that 
keep that metric. I mean, if you have 200 carries and you average five yards, that's a thousand yard season. That's a nice place to start. So, you know, I, I think, uh, I think kind of keeping the, the consistency of being able to make something happen. Um, but you know, we know he's got home run ability. We know he's going to, you know, keep getting better, um, as a true freshman coming in and we saw what he could do in high school. We saw what he could do in flashes last year. I think, you know, break a couple more of those, you know, get, get, shake that last guy and, and get out there and let's, you know, let's inflate that yards per carry with a couple big home run runs. Um, but you know, he, he also last year, he caught, 27 passes um, for 170 yards. I mean, that's like a, just a good little little safety check down valve for Ellinger. And I think, you know, that'll probably hopefully you can get as many catches and turn it into a few more yards on that side. And then, and then again, that just keeps the defense off their toes, which opens the passing game for other players, which opens the running game when they're watching, you know, some of our big threat receivers to him. Um, you know, I, I think – I think getting the ball in the end zone a couple more times, and of course when Sam Ellinger takes all your goal line carries, that's not always you know gonna be your mo. But I, I think this year if he can get a couple more of those and 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 pound him in, then I think you know I think that's got to be a good season for a guy. Remember, we're talking about a huge recruit, but still 19 years old. He's been a workhorse. He was a workhorse for two years when he was at Carthage, right? Like somewhere in the range of like. 5,000 yards in two seasons, right? Like, like 4,300 yards in two seasons. And so I think part of it in his freshman year may have been an intentional move by Herman to let him. There's a lot of, there's a lot of miles on those tires, mm-hmm. right? And especially with a guy who has such a bright future and such a high upside, like you don't want to continue to run him in the ground. If you have other options, that being said, Texas's other option right now at running back is Jordan Winnington and not any shot at Jordan Winnington, but freshman kind of all around guy converting to full-time running back. So like Keontae Ingram's going to have to be the guy next year. Like he's going to have to be. And I think you said it right. Like I think Tex the Texas offense is successful when Keontae Ingram ends up with 15, 20 carries a game, right? And I think that's where the the running game becomes not the offense because the, the offense was balanced. Air quote, right? Tom Herman's whole thing is balance is not like fifty fifty split between passing and running, but being able to pass or run right. when the situation calls for it. So like, but I think when the running game is balanced, when you don't know if it's going to be quarterback power, zone read, speed option, off tackle left, like when you can't key in on what the running game is going to be that again opens up avenues so I think um, that's the progression is is the coach the coaching staff taking a little bit of the pitch count off of him uh, because you saw in some games when he had higher and higher numbers of touches he was able to come up with a rhythm and gash defenses a little bit I think a fair expectation for him I'm not going to say a thousand yards because that that is what I want to see Um, Mm -hmm. but I don't necessarily think that with, again, the situational packages that Jordan Winnington is probably going to use. And I'm not saying don't run Sam Ellinger, but don't give your quarterback 20 carries a game. So, like, I think Ingram maybe gets close to 1,000 yards. I think he ends up maybe somewhere in the eight 900 range, which I think is still a very, very successful season. I mean, we put big numbers on Sam's passing uh, this year, so that's, that's a good point. Um, I would love, like I said, to see him get more involved in that side and just up those passing yards and maybe have a total yardage of somewhere around 1,200 yards 
um, for me personally, but uh, or 1300 even, let's say it. Uh, but, uh, but you know, th- there was a couple of things. He, I think even last year, even though they did throttle a little bit for sure, he had a couple niggling injuries um, and got just shy of 800. He bulked up this offseason. I think they said about 15 pounds he's added on his frame to help kind of be the, the guy and, and shoulder the load. So, you know, if, if, if those two things, the, the pitch count and the, and the little kind of injuries that held him back and, and honestly the emergence of Trey Watson, he had shouts to the boy, Trey Watson exceeded everyone's expectations. Just the hard friend of the show, Trey Watson. Yeah. Good friend. Thanks for always, uh, always listening Trey. Um, we can hang out next week. Well, I'll call you. Don't worry about it. Um, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, but, uh, but, um, no, I mean, it, unbelievable. Just, how much that guy, you know, how much Hardy showed how he finished the tough yards and everything. That's going to be a place where we'll see who steps up because I think Keander Ingram will will slash and, and maybe he's going to add a little more truck stick to his game. But I don't know that you necessarily want him to be that even 15 pounds heavier. You want him to break arm tackles, but you don't necessarily want him going out looking to uh, to put dudes in the dirt. As long as the, the muscle, because you see the guys who will put on that 15 pounds of muscle and it's good muscle, but it slows them down, right? And I think part of Ingram's game is that he's he's an all-purpose back he's not just the slasher he's not just the big body but he can body people and he can slash when he needs to so I think if he doesn't lose a step putting on that weight I think that's something that I really want to to get because we didn't get a ton of carries from him in the spring games like I want to see truly how he carries that weight Uh, and we mentioned him already so Jordan Winnington was the do everything guy for Cuero Uh, if you watch that that state championship game you saw him play a little defense play a little receiver play a little running back play a little quarterback Um, with the Brew McCoy signing it seems like they the the coaching staff felt free to move Whittington to running back to help give some depth to a room that's real real thin so with a guy like Whittington, who is very dynamic, who has a lot of skills to bring to the table, how do you want to see this group utilize him in 2019? Well, I mean, Jordan Whittington was the nation's number two rated athlete in in high school. That's that's a fact. The number one was Brew McCoy. Um, so they got both. Uh, but Brew is, is playing receiver, and so Whittington is playing running back. But the way I see him is more of a, a hybrid role. I mean, we saw the spring game. We saw he's ready to go out there. We've seen the highlights. He is a dude who, just because he runs so hard and has so much speed behind him and acceleration and burst, will just absolutely bust through some arm tackles and, and run you know to a spot, whether you're there or not. Um, I, I would love to see him used in a lot of you know packages in a lot of non-traditional you know i formation running back type roles i'd love to see him um getting outside you know kind of going out into the slot out of the backfield and and stretching defenses making them think um i'd love to see him get you know if our if our line is blocking the way we hope it can get get an edge and and a full head of steam and see people try to stop him i think he's just electrically quick I think he can he can do it all as we saw. Um, I think obviously they are the, the coaching staff is excited. Um, I believe it was uh, Tim Beck who, who you know said he's uh, he's as football savvy like Jordan Humphrey, um, but is much fast. He said he's faster, much faster, which um, is his you know no no dig it, it little Jordan we love you, um, but you know we saw LJ get 
rushing touchdowns last year um, because, you know, he was running back also in high school and, and, and had that skill set. Uh, we saw him pass through it, so I don't know if that's what he means. You know, there's just a, a multifaceted skill set where Whittington um, is a guy who can make something happen. It's not quite a Percy Harvin for me because I think, obviously, he has biceps um, closer to Herschel Walker than Percy Harvin. But, you know, if you remember that Florida team, they used Percy in the slot. They put him in the backfield. They put him out wide, and they just tried to get him in the ball. And when he did crazy electric things happen. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of see that type of role for Whittington. I really don't see him getting 150 carries this season, but I see him getting some really meaningful, really um, big play type home run coming in situations and probably getting a lot of catches out of the backfield, which again, we'll think will help open up our entire passing game. Yeah. And I, I want to see a package with both Ingram and Whittington in there. Yeah. yeah. I, I would love to see that situation where you can, I don't know. Run a run a play action RPO with with you know Ellinger rolling right, Whittington going left, um, kind of catch him in the flats because he's one of those matchup nightmare guys, right? Like he is too fast for a linebacker to cover. He's going to make a defensive end that's playing a little zone out in the flats look foolish, and he's going to body a, a smaller defensive back. Like so, I I think that is where you utilize him best, right? Use him kind of like LJ Humphrey last year. Like you are able to, you can't cover him with a linebacker. You can't cover him with a corner. You can't cover him with the safety. Cause if you do Colin Johnson goes middle and jumps over everybody in your defense. Right? So like, I think Whittington can be that type of piece in the offense simply because that skill set that made him the number two athlete in the country, right? That skill set that allowed him to be versatile and, and rush for, He's, I think he's still running in that state championship game. Like I think he hasn't, <laughs> they haven't stopped counting the number of yards. Right. So I think that like, that's what I need to see from him. Uh, and that's what I hope to see from him. Uh, if they're going to utilize him well, if they use him as just your traditional running back, which they won't, we, we didn't see that happen at all in the spring game. But if, if they ask him to be the, you know, take the ball from the quarterback, run off the, the tackle or whatever, you know, whatever, run in the a gap, that's not going to be utilizing his skill set to the utmost. Yeah, and, and I think one thing that you need to talk about, because you have a true freshman and a true sophomore, there are things in the college game that a running back is asked to do in any offense, but especially in a Texas offense, that go beyond just taking the football and going forward with it. Um, you know, blocking is a huge, huge part with as many passes we we do and, and quarterback runs um, that's asked of a running back. And, and, you know, I think in that way, Trey Watson was clearly the superior back that we had last year and so we're I'm hoping to see a step up from from uh Ingram in that role and I'm also you know curious to see what Whitting can can do I don't think he blocked a whole lot in his high school career because they just wanted to get him the ball um and I think what that does for me and again this is a huge caveat and someone we've been rooting for for years but a guy who is adept at that skill set a guy who could come in on some third downs and could do some things is Kirko Grimes I think the experience that he has with two young guys means there's a niche, you know, there's a role for him. And remember, this guy averaged 125 yards rushing a game in like whatever, 2001 when he was in high school. Um, not quite that long ago, but he is Colin's older brother. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm rooting so hard that he can stay healthy. And if he can, I think there's there's some, you know, there's some some food on that buffet that he's still going to get to eat and could do some cool things. But like I said, I, I mean... I'm also hoping that we see a step up from all the backs in the stable um, in that kind of 
second phase that really truly is very important for running backs. Yeah, and and I think that's the that's why I think I'm worried about the Whittington like just used as a regular running mm-hmm. back because where's the depth, right? And I think yep. you know, Kirk Johnson, great athlete, incredible shape, but like he just hasn't shown durability. Yeah. You know, you need a guy who can pick up five, seven carries a game, right? And not to be reductive of what Kirk Johnson can do, but what he has done on the 40 acres is not indicative of a guy who you can, you know, put out there for, you know, seven, 10 carries a game to help, or at least seven to 10, you know, plays a game, a couple of series, right. To get guys like Ingram and Winnington, uh, a breather. Well, and, and, and again, as I said, I hope he proves this wrong because I mean, I think a lot of people want that from him, but there is another guy as well. Um, you know, I think Danny Young is up to 230 pounds. He's, he's six foot. I mean, he's a little, um, bigger. He's built for durability in, in the exact opposite sense. He's, uh, should be a short yarded specialist. I'm, I'm hoping he can have a, a big beef jerky, Henry Melton type, uh, Type, you know, couple runs at least. You don't have to do it the whole season, but give us a couple uh, big, exciting, bulldozing runs. Um, but, you know, I, I, he had some fumbling issues in the past, and he had a guy who would just try to push the pile for an extra three yards and had a couple, you know, balls ripped out of his hands. But he knows that. He knows that, you know, what is expected of him and where he needs to get better. Um, and the coaches all went out of their way, and Herman especially, to praise both of the other two running backs in the stable and say they're right there with him and praise Danny Young. I mean, I think we saw in the spring game that he wasn't featured, but that doesn't mean that there isn't a situation. There isn't, you know, a trust if he shows that he can hold on to the ball where he can get some snaps too. Again, a guy who has some experience versus two really young running backs um, and and has, you know, a big body that, that's built for, you know, to, to be a battering ram. Yeah, and I think that was, for me, one of the bigger disappointments of the 2018 season was the lack of progression or really even a regression from Danny Young yeah. where I wanted to see the, you know, LJ Humphrey wildcat package with Danny Young in there at running back to be the battering ram, right? So you can hand the ball off to your big body, you know, running back who needs to pick up three yards. And basically all he needs to do is like fall forward and he gets it. So like I, I, th- that was a was a low light for me in in 2018, and I think because we saw what Danny Young can be when he was good as a freshman, right? We saw that like good Danny Young is really really good, and so it's disappointing to see a player who can't quite get it together, especially when it can be a strength for the Texas offense as they look for conditional packages uh, to make plays happen. Yeah, and I mean, he, he's a kid who's who's a Tom Herman type kid. He's a three star with a ton of potential, like a ton of upside that, you know, could be one of those guys who it's like, oh, wow, you know, he was uh, not a huge name coming out. He's already had some some good marquee moments in his career. But like that just feels like one of those success stories. He actually flipped um, to the horns from Houston when Herman came to UT. So he's a Herman guy through and through. I think Herman wants to see him be successful. And I think, again, like Kirk Johnson, a guy we're rooting for. And if you have all four of those backs, you know, this is an optimistic fantasy world. But if all four play a two and maybe above their, you know, expected play, then, then this is a solid group. But, you know, the, the fear, obviously, is that you have continued regression or lack of progression and, you know, an injury or just anything and you get real thin. And so um, I know, you know, earlier in the offseason, there was some talk of, of pursuing 
targets to fill out that depth. Of course, we had Darian Brown, you know, his situation um, expected to be in this recruiting class and, and isn't going to be playing. And then um, just in it from a depth perspective, we had both Kyle Porter and, and, and Tristan Houston, um, who, you know, neither, of course, played at all last season, but transfer out. Um, you just created kind of a, a space where it's now or never. These are guys who are all going to see snaps on the uh, on the first or second or third team you know, practice teams, they're all getting in there. They're all getting, you know, hit by the first team. They're all going up against some real good defenders in practice. Um, you know, that there's chances out there and I'd just be curious to see who's ready to carpe DM. So we'll see that moving forward. What, what the running game looks like. Cause again, I've said it before and I'll say it again. And every time I have the opportunity, I think the running backs are going to be a key component of this offense as, Texas tries to find balance in uh, in its attack on the ground. But that brings us to the part of the show where we whip you around all of the non-revenue sports, the non-big-time sports, but still doing incredible things in a segment we normally call Downing the 40. But in this week's episode, we want to, uh, we want to give it a little extra flavor. So we're going to call it the, uh, the Championship Microbrew. Ooh, I like that. That that's nice, Gerald. That's good. I appreciate that. I came up with that on the spot. So number nine softball in dramatic fashion after dropping a surprise opening game of the Austin Regional came roaring back from the losers bracket and topped it all off by resetting the bracket at the end and shut out Houston seven nothing to take the Austin Regional and head to the Super Regional where they'll take on number eight, Alabama and Tuscaloosa uh, this week. But really the big story is Miranda Elish. And Kyle, Mm. I'll let you take it away because your girl had a big week. Oh, she was, I mean, she was unbelievable. Uh, She... She put her team on de facto, um, as they as they said in in mid two thousands viral um, video game videos. Um, she uh, she was unbelievable when when Coach White needed someone that he could rely on. She went four and zero through four hundred and forty pitches um, across four elimination games. The point four seven ERA over five appearances with four complete games, two solo shutouts, and thirty three strikeouts over thirty innings of work. Like that's. I hope she got a nice you know ice bath and a swim in Barton Springs to to recover. Uh, the old the old pitching. I mean, just I literally my my shoulders started hurting thinking about that. That's how I know I'm old. Um, but it's you know it's unbelievable. It's only the second time in, in school history that Texas ever lost its regional opener and then won four straight to advance. I mean, getting down was like whoa! I can't believe that happened. But it's like you know they needed that punch in the face. Sometimes you see a boxer like he's not really in the fight or she's not really in the fight until they've been hit. And hit hard once, and all of a sudden it's like you know wakes you up a little, a little jolt, uh, you know, shot of Red Bull, and you know it, it kind of calibrates you. And it felt like not just her, but the whole team kind of came alive based on that that energy. You know, so this uh, this was just a, a thrilling series for a, a team that, as you as you all know, dear listeners, I have uh, I have been since preseason. I think I banged the drum when they hired Coach White that week because I thought it was impeccable, um, and, it, and it proves to be a great hiring. And obviously, he brought a lot of talent, you know, with him from Oregon. But I mean, it's just 
it's fun. Let's watch fun Texas teams, and this softball team is 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 right at the top for me. Yeah, and and again, this is the standard, right? This is a standard to which we should hold and expect uh, Texas teams to again carry, hold up to. I'm not sure, but it looks like if Texas can uh, can come away with a win in the super regional again, they kick off Thursday the 23rd. At 9 p.m. Eastern time, which is just absolutely awful, um, they're on a collision course with a rematch with the Oklahoma Sooners. So uh, if Texas manages to come away with that win, they will advance to the College World Series, Women's College World Series, to take on the Oklahoma Sooners. And that's, ooh, that's juicy. Uh, but a quick stat. I, I wanted to make sure I gave him his due. Coach White has uh, has coached 10 seasons as a, as a head coach. Um, do you know how many of those he's made the NCAA Super Regionals, Gerald? This is an impromptu trivia. You said 10 seasons? Uh-huh. Uh, nine. Ten. He's never not made the <sighs> Super Regionals. Dude I just always... goes. <laughs> Dude why just goes the distance. Myself? Yeah, yeah. You got it. And, and why did you doubt Mike White? You know, the White Mike era. Come on, baby. No, it's... Uh, the guy knows how to get his players motivated and get up for it. So I'm, I'm excited, man. This is, this is great coach, great team, great players, like, and, and a chance to, to get back at those pesky, pesky Sooners. It, it all, it all looks good to me. Oh, and also knock a little roll tide off their, uh, off their haunches, man. Who, who hates that? Nobody does. I was getting ready to brag about how Texas had three of the 16 teams remaining. And then I realized that the SEC had like five of the 16 schools remaining. So uh, it's really the Big 12, the SEC, and then like a couple of Pac-12 schools is really what uh, softball is. But that's that's neither here nor there. I just like to see what the, uh, what the makeups are. So number two, women's golf. Uh, they had sh- the NCAA championship rounds are going on right now. They shortened the round initially due to weather, and then they had today's event, so Monday's events, the day of recording, that were suspended due to darkness. Uh, we just got that update on Twitter. So the Longhorns still hold an eight-stroke league lead with Ag- uh, Agatha Lasney, uh, who's set to close things off. Bright and early at 6.45 a.m. tomorrow morning just to get this thing over with. So, Texas, it looks like Texas is going to advance to the NCAA championships this weekend. Like, that's unless she goes eight over on her last few holes, it looks like Texas is probably going to advance to uh, the NCAA championship tournament. Uh, no, Gerald, she would have to go. They, they were six under on the day. Eight over would only put them at two under, which would still be tied for the best round on the day. They would have to, she would have to somehow shoot something like a 33 on her. I think she has one hole left. If not, then over two holes, 33 over, I should say, um, to, to fully miss this because they are 30, 32 strokes for the tournament ahead of Auburn, who also hasn't finished and is currently the the eighth of the top eight teams that will advance. So that's what kick an absolute tail the first couple days will do for you. And like I said, especially this final day going six under um, when, you know, Duke, who's, who's in second, shot 12 over today. So that's just a little thing called whooping whooping whoever the next closest competition is so really really good good things for uh for texas except for you know 
golfers who have to wake up at 5 a.m. to go get a practice round in or, or, you know, loosen up before before finishing the round. As somebody who hit the same water hazard 10 times in a round of Tiger Woods PGA Tour, one time <laughs> it's possible. It's possible to go 33 over on one hole. Uh, but I was just... I was trying. I shouldn't have done that. That's a long, weird, random rant to talk about while we talk about uh, golf. So number six men's golf uh, won the NCAA Austin Regional by 20. 20 strokes <laughs> at the UT Golf Club. Dramatic pause for emphasis. Uh, senior uh, Stephen Ch- Chirovny. I always say his name wrong. I believe it's Chirvoni, Hammer, but you got it. You got Chirvoni? it. Chirvoni? Yeah. Ch- Chirvoni. Chirvoni. Okay. Uh, freshman Cole Hammer, they each had a five under 66 in Wednesday's final round. So they were the, uh, the top or I guess bottom low performers, uh, for the weekend. Yeah. That's a way low performers, is a, a weird way to say it, but yeah, they, they're low co low score, um, medalist basically. Um, the, uh, the, the nice thing, they did not play this at, um, where they played the Dell Match Classic at the Austin Country Club. They, they played at the UT Club. Um, but I was at my bachelor party in the Cove right outside of, uh, you could have been there, G, right outside the the Austin Country Club and uh, and was getting updates from the captain on the boat of how the uh, how the golf team was doing. So I, I felt like I was like in spirit watching them because I was staring at beautiful, luscious greens because I think it's like the, the 14th and 15th something like that or right along the water um but just absolutely a, a beautiful beautiful course but also the ut club is but they won't be playing there guys it's it's the it's the the final now the 2019 ncaa championships will take place in uh in fayetteville i believe arkansas getting some golf in yeah that'll be nice uh so the track team is barreling towards um some more ncaa competition so the track and field team notched 45 entries for the NCAA West prelims that'll take place this weekend in Sacramento, California. The women showing out 28 of the 45, so more than half, way more than half of the uh, of the entries are going to the women's team, which is not 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 expected. But it's still always good to see uh, the ladies carrying that program as they have in, in years past. Yeah, I mean it's. Uh, we're, I'm going to talk about it in just a second, but the women. Well, I'll talk about it now. The women at UT have been absolutely crushing it this season. Volleyball, women's indoor and outdoor track, women's swim and dive, women's tennis, women's golf have all been Big Twelve conference championships. So uh, champions, I should say. So it's uh, it's as no one is surprised by. We are a women's sports podcast, if not a tennis podcast. That that the women are are making. Both you and I and all Longhorns proud. Yes, yes, they are. And and speaking of the ladies making us proud, number four, rowing, which is a ladies-only sport at the University of Texas, won the Big 12 championship by winning just every race they entered in on Saturday. Just just the clean sweep. Can you Can you bust out the brooms? On water, I don't know how that works, but they won their fifth straight conference championship and their ninth in the last 11 years. So a decade of dominance from the ladies on the water. Yeah, two weeks from now, they'll compete in the NCAA championships. I believe you get a Swiffer instead if it's on water. Um, but they did have uh, they did have six rowers uh, make the All-Big 12 team came out today with that announcement as well. That is UT's now ninth Big 12 championship we run this conference this year and all years. 
And on that beautiful note, we bring you to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? As badly as I wanted to, this is a golf week, and I played golf, got some golf updates. My dad's a big golfer. I was with my dad. I wanted to talk about speed. He got up to third in the PGA Championship, and I'm, that's not my bang the drum. I'm just proud of him. Let's be back, Jordan Spieth. Come on. We need you. We need you to uh, to dominate, but uh, I want to talk about another sport. I want to go to the uh, looming NBA draft. Um, we had uh, we had a conversation last week, I believe, I banged the drum about this as well. We have two prospects who I think can be drafted. I think there's obviously one who who we know for sure, um, and it's uh, the draft is actually um, going on right now i think it's thursday yeah or excuse me is going on um thursday june 20th uh two days before my wedding um it's a month from today i should say that that just uh, blew my mind when i looked at numbers uh a month from today there will be the nba draft and one guy who's expected to really make some waves of course is, is lottery pick jackson hayes and his official uh combine measurements came out today and i just wanted to marvel at them for a second if you'll let me Six eleven and a half, uh, in, in shoes, 219 pounds. So not quite as, uh, svelte as, uh, as we worried. It means he's been, been working out and bulking up again. The kid is, uh, is 18, uh, or maybe 19 years old. So he's got, got time to grow into that frame. Um, he had a, uh, seven and three and one half inches wingspan, which is enormous. Um, but, uh, the, the wildest thing was he has a nine and, uh, two and one half inch standing reach. Remember the hoop is, uh, is 10 feet he's he's just a couple inches from that so he he needs a vertical that i think you and i could muster about about uh, seven inches um to to be able to uh to to grab rims so uh a dude who who has a future just as being huge and blocking shots and throwing dunks down had some very uh impressive measurables come out this year and so now it's a little easier to understand why he chose to uh to go early and uh, not finish his his career, obviously, at UT. We did talk last week, and I want to reiterate, he finished classes. He went through, finished his classes, and he said he's coming back and getting his degree. So you can, with full throat and fervor, root for him uh, as the next great Longhorn big man in the NBA. And I think the trend of where did that big guy from Texas come from because he wasn't that good in college is finally officially (laughs) over like when it happens two years in a row when the big guy that is a texas lottery pick is actually good in college then i think we can call the trend over because for years it was like they were didn't play right like they were they were okay guys like you know and then they blow up and you know lead the league in blocks and things like that where uh, block lebron james in prime time those types of things so um the fact that you know neither of these guys came off the bench which is still something i'll never get over um is incredible and so i'm excited to see um his his landing place and and i'm getting um i'm still in the market for an nba squad kyle and be honest with you grew up a spurs fan Still, still a little silver and black. Moved to Oklahoma City when Kevin Durant did, but I, I can't, I can't cheer for Golden State, and I can't cheer for Oklahoma City. Like it's hard for me to cheer for them. So I'm still, I'm still in the market. So maybe where Jackson Hayes lands is where I will uh, turn my attention at least uh, when it's time to watch the NBA. I, I, I got. I, 
I am flabbergasted. I, I might just walk out of the remaining minutes of this podcast. You are a Spurs fan, Gerald, and you don't forget it. I don't care if they take you to Oklahoma. You're from San Antonio. It's our only professional sports team. US UTSA be damned. It's our only sports team. Sorry, missions. You are a Spurs fan. Now, I will be a San Antonio Chancos fan. Like, I'll be that. That's fair. Like, That's fair. <laughs> Like, let's do that. Uh, no, so I'm banging the drum this week on um, an interesting announcement. So it was announced this week that the Texas LSU game was officially a night game. So under the lights of DKR, I believe it's 7.30 Eastern time, 6.30 Central time in week two. And based on the non-conference scheduling, both teams should be 1-0 and and will probably be in the top 15, if not the top 10 heading into this matchup. So it's also presumably a college game day game, which I'm trying to remember the last time game day was on campus in Austin. I think it was that Notre Dame game. If I recall correctly, is that the last time game day was on campus? Uh, you might be right. I don't know if there's been a red river game day. Um, I, I think we didn't well, get it on, on campus. Oh, there's right, 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 right. Yeah. That, uh, I think you may be right. So, Sam said it after the game that Texas is back and I'm the jury's still out right after, after one 10 win season, it's hard to rule that Texas is back, but at least they're back to national prominence Um, because night games for years were kind of just the, Oh, this one's on Longhorn network. So it'll be at night (laughs) or, Oh, this there's nothing else good this week because it's the week that the SEC schools all schedule their random uh, conference play interlude to tune up for the last couple of weeks of the season. Um, so Texas will play a night game, right? Iowa State on a Thursday night is a night game. So Texas may not be all the way back. It's still too early to call, but at least they're back in the national spotlight, which is a good thing. I think Texas continuing to, to increase its marquee, which it's crazy to think that Texas has to do that after being the biggest program in college football for so long. Yeah, I mean, one thing you don't want to do if you're the other team is ratchet up the marquee-ness of a game that Tom Herman is coaching in. You can ask, you know, Jimbo Fisher at Florida State if you'd like. You can, you know, he coaches somewhere else now, I think, wherever I don't recall some moneysville. Um, he you you can ask uh, Bob Stoops with a p- potential uh, national championship derailing uh, opening season loss uh, in 2016. You can ask a really good Lamar Jackson Louisville team. Tom Herman likes a little little attention. He likes when eyes are on him. If you were a if you were an LSU fan, you were hoping somehow this game got buried. It was another noon kickoff on Fox Sports One. Uh, you know this this bodes well if the Tom Herman uh, motif holds for this season, um, and so it, it does nothing but ratchet up the excitement level for me. You're getting the eyes, so now. What happens between those white lines is important. What what happens outside of them pregame, week leading up, that's all great for the fans. It's all great for the people that are going to make money off of it. But really, you have to prove it between the white lines. And I think that's Tom Herman's mantra. That's been his mantra since day one. And I think I'm, I'm, ex- I'm really interested to see. This is probably the biggest game, at least regular season game, 
that this team has been a part of in the Tom Herman era. So I want to see how his mantra of it's just another game, ignore social media, all of that stuff, all that matters are the guys in this locker room. Like I want to see how that holds up on a primetime game of the week, Kirk Herbstreet on campus, Lou Holtz situation. Like what does, does the mantra, does the um, coaching platitudes, do they stack up and, has the culture really returned to a business-first mentality? There's uh, only a few short weeks until we shall know. So speaking of a few short weeks, we're like barreling towards football season to the point where our season preview shows start next week. So we will, again, for the next 12 weeks, have a guest on from each of the the teams on Texas's 2019 schedule. So we got we're getting experts from those fan bases, experts from uh, those media groups. So we've got the first several lined up. So next week we'll kick off with a preview of the Louisiana game. So the the season opener obviously will be our season opener, and I, I'm excited for it. So tune in next week to check that out. But that's all we've got for you this week, Kyle. Where can the good folks find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can find all of my uh, hot panini picks. It's Panini Night Baby at Kyle Ryan Carpenter on Instagram. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. You can feel free to shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. John's lineage means nothing. Yeah.